0: Thanks for tuning in to the Lean 911 podcast where you'll have a voice directly from the Gemba. I will rely on my three decades of lean successes as well as my failures to answer your most challenging questions regarding your lean transformation. I'm your host, Mark DeLuzio, President and CEO of Lean Horizons Consulting and the Principal Architect of the Danaher Business System. Looking forward to your questions. Now, let's go to the Gemba. Hi, Mark DeLuzio here with another episode of Lean 911. And this is part six of a now six-part series on problem-solving. And I can guarantee you there'll be more problem-solving down the line because it's uh, a vast subject. And, you know, as I think I said earlier in one of the earlier podcasts, lean, at the end of the day, is all about problem-solving. And I'll, I'll bring back something I learned at Toyota, my first visit in Japan of many uh to japanese companies and and toyota and their suppliers uh in 1990 an executive said the difference between a world-class company and one that's not is their ability to solve problems at toyota the great toyota he says we even have we have problems too but we only solve our problems once which basically means he doesn't fix the problem they solved the problem. And I have an episode on that earlier on. I forget which one that was, but if you go to lean911.com website, you'll find all the episodes in there. This is episode 23. And I initially was going to have a five part problem solving series. And I thought about one more aspect of problem solving I wanted to bring to you. And like I said, I, I'm sure there will be many more going forward. But this one's called Trust But Verify Challenge the Status Quo. And by the way, Trust But Verify was something I adopted from Ronald Reagan. For those of you who are old enough to remember who he was, uh, when he was asked, uh, do you trust the Soviet Union? He says, yes, I trust them, but I verify. Trust but verify. Okay. And that is something I want to bring to the forefront in, in, uh, in problem solving, because it's something that we really need to do as problem solvers. How many times have you told you've been told when you're trying to solve a problem you can't you know it's the old mc hammer again i'm dating myself back is that the 80s i guess mc hammer had a song that says you can't you can't touch this right <laughs> and uh how many times you've been told you can't do that okay you can't and you know that's a that is a four letter word and it's a bad word when it comes to continuous improvement that you can't you can't do this And I'm going to give you some examples of, 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 of third-party examples. And I'm also going to give you personal examples that I went through in my career that when you challenge the status quo, you really hold people's feet to the fire and ask, you know, is that really true? You really can't do that. Right now, normally, you know, you're going to get, you're going to get, The following reasons, and there's probably a hundred more, but I'll just give you the, the classic ones that I always hear. You can't do that because of regulations, whether the government regulations or some other ordinance or whatever the case may be. You can't do that because the customer won't let us. You can't do that because of our specs. You can't do that because of supplier guidelines. You know, for example, I see this a lot with things like Loctite, you know, the glue. Uh, Yeah. uh, Oh, no. Loctite has a specification. We can't break that specification. Okay. Uh, Industry standards, right? These are all ones that I've been involved in over the course of time. And, uh, you know, you just can't do this. You just can't make that change or, you know, make that improvement because of X, Y, and Z. Well, Let's talk about some examples, okay, Uh, because I think as problem solvers, you have to challenge everything. I don't care what it is, you have to challenge everything, and probably the best question you can ask as a continuous improvement uh, professional is why, right? Remember, we have the five whys, but you have to ask that question, why? Why is it like that? Why, why, and why? And you keep asking until you get down to the real essence of this now i'm not seeing some of these regulations and standards and specs you can violate them all just because i'm sitting here saying you can you can, some some you can't right and you've got to look at these in the context of safety quality delivery and cost in that order that hierarchy right i talked about that earlier on one of the previous episodes by the way just for, if you're keeping track this is episode 23 i don't know if i mentioned that earlier on um so anyway um uh, so let's talk about a couple of things. I, I was working early in my Lean Horizons career. I had a company. Uh, I'm in Arizona right now. It's where I live. I'm in Scottsdale, but but uh, I was out here in Arizona at a defense contractor. They made military weapons, and we were going to you know take a batch batch and queue operation and put it into a one piece flow type 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 scenario with standard work cell design, all the things that you probably are familiar with. And they said, "Well, you can't. You can't really do that." I said, "Well, why not? Well, we need the government auditor's approval to even move a table. Really, even move. You can't even move a table. No, nope. uh, we need approval for everything." I said, "Well, did the government auditor approve what you got out there now? Because believe me, it was a mess. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. She approved it, and blah 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 blah. Is she local? Yeah, she's local. Uh, okay." give me your phone number. So I called her up. He said, by the way, next week or whenever it was two weeks from now, we're going to be running a Kaizen event to reconfigure the uh, XYZ cell and put it into one piece flow, improve quality, improve delivery, uh, uh, improve safety of course, as always, you know, number one, would you be interested in coming out and learning? And I explained who I was and, you know, you know, what Lean was all about, because I wasn't sure she really knew. And she knew a little bit about it, but not much. Would you come out and and participate with us on the Kaizen? We'd love to get your input and expertise. Oh, boy, I would really love that. So she came out, right? And we put her on the Kaizen team, put her, you know, through training. You know, we usually do 20% training and 80% hands-on. And we had goals and objectives, and, and it was an unbelievable success. I mean, force-based reductions, inventory reductions, quality, productivity. I mean, all the metrics went north in, in in an unbelievable way. And she was the one coming back saying, hey, why don't we do this? Why don't we put that over there? And why are we doing this? And we shouldn't have to do that. I'll sign off on that. So we got her involved in the process. Okay. Had we gone ahead and done it and then brought her in for approval, it definitely would not have gone that well. Okay. Now I'm not saying you could do this for everything. And in some cases, you might be able to do this. I just want to give you an example where I just challenged the status quo that when they say we can't do this, I pushed back and said, "No, I think we can if if she's agreeable and we get her involved in the process. And by the way, I talk about solving problems at the lowest level in another episode of problem solving. And you know, getting people involved is one of the best ways to get their buy-in, okay? If you instill something or enforce something on somebody, Uh, you're going to have a, you know, pushing a rope uphill, as they say, right? Um, so that was just one example. Okay. But let me give you a couple other, other examples. Well, first of all, you probably have seen a lot of bottleneck operations where, you know, a, a part would have to leave a cell and go to what we would call a curtain effect. So if the operator can complete a one piece, uh, flow, uh, operation so for example these kind of these kind of uh operations might be you know for electronic you know uh products a burn-in we have to burn in the pc boards or curing if it has to dry if it's epoxy or paint or whatever or heat treat or whatever right so and for some reason when i ask things like how long does the burn-in have to happen I get answers like this, 24 hours, 16 hours, eight hours. They're always divisible, it seems, by eight. And I'm like, well, wow, that's amazing how all these technical engineering standards all come out to be divisible evenly by eight. Well, okay, I think you probably got this already, that eight is obviously usually what a standard shift is. So they just say, okay, let's just put it there for a shift and we'll take care of it on second shift or first shift or whatever it may be, right? Well, in the process, then you're building inventory. Uh, you're over-processing most likely. Uh, you are exposing yourself to greater quality fallout because the batch is bigger. The curtain effect is bigger, right? And Look, I'm not saying that there's no merit to any of these numbers, but they gotta be challenged. And I'll tell you right now, I would probably say 90% of the time when I challenge something like this, we brought these things down drastically. And, you know, like Deming said, you know, uh, in God we trust, all others bring data. Show me the data. Show me the fallout after two hours, after four hours, after six, after eight, you know, whatever it may be. So, Keep an eye on that as you guys are looking at these type of you know batch processes, curing ovens, burn ins, uh, testing, calibration. You know they're usually in some semblance of eight hours, and and that ha- that that should be a red flag to you to challenge those things, okay? Because a lot of times these are just at the convenience of the operations uh and and uh probably those standards have been in place for 20 years and nobody ever challenged them right so so that's one thing so let me get some more uh specific examples now i'll I'll stay on the theme right now of cure time and i'll move into some other things in a minute we had a plant at danaher called delta delta truck boxes and we just acquired uh the business and I was down there with then uh, President uh, Tom Joyce, who became CEO of Danaher, a good friend of mine and great guy. Uh, and Tom and I were walking around this this blow molded facility. They made the big blow molded truck boxes that went in the back of pickup trucks. And uh, they also made steel at another plant in aluminum. But this was the blow molding plant. And so Tom and I first walked into this facility for the first time and. Uh, Actually, it wasn't the first time because we did due diligence there. But we walked in to now look at it and say, well, what are we going to do with this facility? And as we're walking around, there were piles and piles of truck boxes all over the place. And we're walking with the VP of operations. And I asked the question, I said, well, why are all these boxes here? And the first thing he did was he held out his hand to me and he said, you got to understand blow molding. Okay, tell me about blow molding. Okay which i did have some familiarity with but tell me about blow mold tell me what i don't know why all these boxes are here all piled up you know you know five high well when they come off the blow molder we can't assemble them right away we have to cut off the top and we can't assemble them because they'll warp so they have to cure Now, the first thing that's going through my mind is, okay, you're taking hot boxes and piling them on top of other hot boxes and all that weight. Okay. You get the idea, right? But I didn't say anything. I said, okay. I said, well, how long do they have to cure? And he said, uh, they have to cure for uh, 48 hours. Oh, okay. There you go. Divisible by eight. Right. So again, red flags went off. Uh, it's a second red flag. The first red flag was look at all this inventory (laughs) Uh, so I said, well, let me ask you. I said, is that is that like your standard? Is that you got to, you know, study on that? You know, yeah, 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 we, you know, we 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 through experience we learned that this is the right number. Okay. I said, well, can it be 47 hours? And he looked at me and he he said, yeah, I don't see why not." Okay. I said, "How about 46?" He shook his head. 45 i'm gonna keep going until you tell me to stop okay and uh i said you really don't know do you okay show me the standard right that you came up with the 48 hours well he didn't have one by the way in the previous uh podcast on problem solving i talked about standards okay so this is a type zero standard there was no standard that exists Okay, if you go back to that previous co- podcast, you'll find out that this is a type zero problem. No standard exists, but it was the practice. Okay, so I guess in some sense, you can argue it's a, a very uh, loose standard, but it's not really a standard. So I said, look, guys, I said, "and you know, he has engineers and his plant, plant guy with him and all that. So I said, why don't you guys go back and take a look at this? Get your quality guys and your engineers and do some experiments. And let's find out how long it really needs, uh, to cure. How about we come back on Thursday and we'll have a meeting, you know, 10 o'clock in the morning and we'll talk about what you find out. He said, okay, fine. So we continued our tour and, you know, did some other things that week. And on Thursday we came back. And, uh, <laughs> they did a big PowerPoint presentation, which I could have killed him on because I think I don't want a PowerPoint presentation. <laughs> You know, lean by PowerPoint, right? That's uh, it's what a lot of big consulting firms do. Um, we want to just know what you found out. So they said, Mark, you are absolutely right. It does not need to be 48 hours. It only needs to be 20 minutes. 20 minutes. Not 48 hours. Not 20 hours. for 20 minutes. So... Long story short, we set we 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 shut. I shut the plant down for three weeks. So the quality problems we had to do. There was a lot more than forty-eight hours worth of inventory. Uh, we fixed some quality problems. Create one-piece flow cells with standard work and process for curing. Tack time of two minutes, so we needed, you know, with twenty minutes, we needed uh, ten units, uh, or twenty. How is that, how's that work? Uh, two minutes of uh, of tech time. Yeah, we needed 10 units of standard work on a 1st and 1st stop basis in our curtain and continued a one-piece flow right at the machine because what the operator was doing was standing and watching the machine run for two minutes. So we got him involved in the assembly and also the packing. We packed everything right there. The packing was on the other side of the shop. We freed up probably, I don't know, 60% of the floor space just because of the inventory. So... So here's, a, here's a, a case where you just challenge the status quo. Now, what I found out was there was a quality problem 10 years ago with a customer, and the plant manager at the time, who wasn't even there anymore, instituted this 48-hour thing, uh, you know, this 48-hour, hour—take to call it standard, but it's a standard, and uh, nobody challenged it for 10 years. That's just what they did. And, and so, you know, creating that culture where we challenge ourselves all the time. Why are we doing this? Because a lot of people come to work, they don't mean harm, and they'll come in and they'll check all the boxes and do all the things that are supposed to happen, but not really give a lot of critical thought about why they're doing what they're doing and how that affects not only the customer and quality and all that, but how it also affects you know, profitability and, and, and all that stuff, right? So, so. This is where you have to think like a business person before you think like a lean zealot. And so many people out there in this space today just think like lean zealots and they can't communicate with somebody who's being measured on making money. <laughs> you know, that'll be a whole nother episode, by the way. Uh sort of I like deviated there. Okay, so that's that's the blow molding example. Okay. Let me give you another one. Uh this happens to be something I heard from a friend that used to work at a large aircraft manufacturer. And I won't mention who they, who it is, but you could probably guess, right? And they actually had the Japanese in there. They had Shingajitsu in there. And I don't recall which consultant it was, but the consultant wanted to put the fuselage of, it might've been a 737, one of those planes. It's not, it doesn't really matter. On a flow line. And he wanted to have a moving line okay and uh time it off the tack time and, and all that stuff and I, by the way nakao my my sensei that i talk about nakao and i will do a podcast on Shahiro nakao uh down the line because he's such a special special person uh and a big mentor to me but anyway uh nakao showed me a one-piece flow line for a aircraft engine and it it the tack time was about two days and it moved ever so slowly and I've gotten to some arguments with people that used to work at aircraft engine companies, but right? you can't put it in a flow line because blah, 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 blah. And it moves too slow. The tack time's too long. And that is bull. And maybe I'll have a whole episode on that someday because I proved that to this individual he was wrong uh, and and that, you know, that a flow line, even with a very slow tack time, uh, long tack time, uh, still makes sense, Okay because you just can't time the labor to tech time by having stationary squares on the floor and all that. Maybe someday I'll do a, a podcast on that. But anyway, so the engineers were telling this Japanese consultant, we can't move this fuselage, it's too freaking heavy. So he says, give me a hand drill, a battery-operated, I think he said it was a DeWalt hand drill made by Black & Decker. Battery-operated. He tied a cord to the chuck. He tied the other end of the cord to the airplane and he stood there and pushed the power button on the on the drill, the power drill, and the chuck started moving and the cord started wrapping around the chuck and the airplane started moving. Okay. So do you see what I'm saying here? When somebody says something like, we can't move that airplane, everybody, you know, 99% of the people are going to say, yeah, yeah, he's right, man. You know how heavy that thing is? Not to think that a little golf cart on the airport is moving a whole airplane with the engines and everything, okay? And, uh, but this is just the mindset that we get into where mm-hmm. we're so schooled at trying to understand, at, at looking at why we can't do things that it gets in the way of the things we can do. It's a mindset. It's so easy to find out all the reasons why something won't work, as opposed to looking at well, how can it work, right? And sometimes you have to reinvent yourself to be able to do that. Now, the last one I'm going to talk to you about was uh, a client of mine that makes these small parts, and they have to go through a washing operation. Okay, now <clears throat> it's a foreign comp- company, and and you know the washing operation starts out with raw water and the operation needs RO, okay, reverse osmosis water. So they were under pressure by the local gov by the by the government to reduce their water consumption or they would have shut the plant down. All right. They were consuming too many liters of water per day, blah, 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 blah. And this is the operation that really consumed most of the water. So they, the parts had to go through a five stage process. There were five barrels that the parts had to go in. So, you know, process one, process two, process three, and all that. And all of them were, you know, the water that they put into each one of these five processes were uh, RO water, which again, right up front, you're losing, you know, 40% of your water just by converting it over. So, so I asked the question well, how much water does each tank need to have? And they told me it was 60 liters. I said, okay. Uh, Can you show me the spec? They couldn't find it. They couldn't find the spec. Again, like the, like the truck box thing, the blow molding, they were based on, you know, tribal knowledge. Uh, It's six. They looked at, and they were making parts for the automotive industry and also, uh, Uh, aerospace so they they looked at all the specs as it related to this process and they could not find any spec that dictated 60 liters so i said okay let's do a like a mini design of experiments here and go figure out what the number needs to be and when they came back they said it only needs to be 30. i could have still challenged that but i didn't i said okay well that's a 50% reduction all right maybe some other day we'll fight that that battle because there were other battles we needed to fight. Why does it, why does the, and the reason they were using RO water because the raw water would have rusted the part. RO would not for some reason. And there was other chemicals involved in all that. So <clears throat> then I said, well, why does it have to go through five stages? Well, because and they nobody knew. Nobody knew. Okay. Why does it have to go through five barrels? You take the parts in one barrel, put it in another barrel. Okay. And I challenged that, yeah, show me this back, show me, you know, like look, I'm trusting you guys, but I want you to verify, trust me, verify. Okay. Challenge the status quo. That's the title of this episode. And they came back and they did some more experiments and found out they only needs to go through three. So we got it down to three now. And again, I still could have persisted and challenged a bit more, but I didn't. I said, okay, that's okay. Let's let's go from there. Right. In some cases you have to allow them to save face too. Right. Um, And then I said, well, why does the first process and second process need RO water if the last, since these are going one at a time, you know, in and out, in and out, isn't it the last process that only needs RO water? They went and did more experiments. They never spec on that either. And sure enough, it was only the last process that needed RO treated water. So we reduced the water consumption by, oh, geez, I don't know what the number was, 70%, whatever. We got them well under the spec. what the government was mandating uh over there. So again, you know, could I gotten hung up on one more, you know, reduction like, why not two barrels, you know, why not fifteen liters of water? Why not, you know, or there's an alternative and all that. You know, in the world of continuous improvement, you've gotta know when to stop. Okay. And then pick that up some other day. I could have burned a lot of calories on going from three barrels to two and and miss all these other opportunities. So you have to, you know, you have to kind of think about what really is best for, uh, for the over overall objective in terms of what we're trying to do, because you know, darn well, whatever we did that day or that week would not have been perfect. and, And we would of course have to, you know, come back later but i I, you don't want to go down a rabbit hole you have to kind of say okay that's great you got down to three barrels you got down to 30 liters and you'd only do an ro in one that was a big win okay uh one of the things i talked to leaders about is going into a kaizen review and then saying hey how come you guys didn't go to two barrels and how come you didn't do this and how can we do that and my comment to them would be and this is a coaching that we give you've been here how long 15 years now all of a sudden you're coming up with this brilliant idea and these brilliant questions. No, no, you can't ask those. Sorry. Sorry. You weren't on the Kaizen team. Okay. You're not allowed to ask those questions. I don't care if they're CEO or not. Okay. Cause you were here for 15 years and didn't see an opportunity here. And now you're challenging this team. Cause what, what a Kaizen does is it opens up doors for you to be able to see the next steps, right? It to penalize the team and actually make them feel foolish that, you know, they they missed an opportunity they didn't think, and all that. Well, they're the ones that got you to where you are right now. Let's celebrate that. And we know every standard's imperfect, and whatever we come up with will be subject to Kaizen because whatever we, you know, we know that whatever we do today uh, can be done better tomorrow. So I developed a saying at Danaher called, uh, uh, with the status quo a healthy dissatisfaction with the standard status quo kaizen is a healthy dissatisfaction with the status quo so you can't beat yourself up all the time you gotta celebrate so on friday let's celebrate because we did some really great things and we come back on monday let's get a little bit angry and find out how we can do better in a healthy way okay Uh, otherwise it's all negative and that's not good right so uh anyway i just want you to know that when you do problem solving. Do not accept anything that somebody tells you. I don't care who they are. Ask for data. Ask for evidence. And if you don't know, go out and find out. Like we did with uh, with the uh, the blow molding, like we did with the water reduction and things like that. Okay, so uh, I would probably say that a good 80-90% of the time that I challenge these type of paradigms, uh they were in there for convenience they weren't in there for driving efficiency and delivery and quality and and all that stuff in some cases safety right uh so i'd be happy i'd be interesting to know your stories about your company and and how you challenge the status quo and what kind of pushback do you get i'm sure you do get some pushback and that's okay uh, it's it's natural uh, you're going to get the old, well, you don't understand, blank, 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 and you're not an engineer or, uh, you know, you don't have, I, I've got 20 years of experience here with this. How could you say that? I've had that thrown at me all the time. And, uh, you know, in some cases, those are valid points, but most of the time, there are just defenses that need to be, uh, need to be challenged. So, remember the trust but verify from Ronald Reagan, trust but verify and challenge the status quo. Okay. Anyway, this was episode 23. I'd be interested in your comments at, uh, send me an email at Mark, M-A-R-K, Mark at lean911.com. All of these, uh, these episodes can be found on the website, lean911.com. And also you can find them, on you know, Apple podcasts and also this video, that I'm recording is, uh, if you want to see my pretty face, is on the, uh, is on uh, on YouTube, and uh, so anyway, uh, look forward to hearing from you on this matter, and I'm sure you've got all kinds of experiences in this regard, and we will see you next time, okay? Stay lean, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye bye. Thanks for listening to the Lean 911 podcast. I'll be happy to address your questions or feedback on future episodes. Email me at mark at lean911.com. You can check out our other episodes by visiting our website at lean911.com, our YouTube channel, wherever you listen to podcasts. This is your host, Mark DeLuzio. Thanks for listening.